I wonder if perhaps some of you have ever heard what Mormons like to say about people like you, people like us. Christians, they say this about evangelicals. At least they used to say it. I don't know whether they still do because they're trying to become a lot more mainstream. But they used to say that we walk by the light of the moon and they walk by the light of the day. You know what they mean by that? You have some truth. You have some of what God wants you to know. But they have the whole truth. Because they, they have their Bible and they have their Pearl of Great Price and they have their Book of Mormon and they have those other things. So you see, you don't know all the truth. They know the truth, but you don't have it. They have the truth. Muslims teach and say that their Koran is the word of Allah. And by the way, don't ever fall for this nonsense that goes on in the media. That when a Muslim says Allah, they translate it God. God and Allah are not the same. Allah is a false pagan God. The God of the Bible, God, their God is small g God. The God of the Bible is God. The only true and living God. So don't fall for that. Allah and the God of the Bible are not the same. But they say that their Koran was written by the hand of Allah through his prophet Muhammad, and that they have the truth. And their Koran is far more important and far more sacred than your, your Bible. I mean, this is the Koran from Allah. Why do you think they get so upset when somebody threatens to burn it or desecrate it? Oh, you can't do that! That's the Koran from Allah! So you, you don't have that. You don't have the the truth that they have according to them. As a matter of fact, Scientology is out with their annual commercial bombardment and they're saying that they mix science in with religion and they have a whole new level of understanding and truth that you, you Christians with your Bibles, you just don't have the truth that we have. You see, lots of people say that they have the truth. All kinds of religions say that we've got it and you don't. We've got a handle on the truth and you don't. So what makes Christianity any different? What makes Christians think that they have the truth and that they have all of God's revelation and others don't. What makes us different? This is where we're going today in our study from Revelation chapter 3 as Jesus addresses the church at Philadelphia. If you turn there again with me in your Bibles, you know, some might even say the same about different Christian churches. Some Christian churches believe some things other Christian churches, even though they've got the same Bible, believe other things. 
Where, where do we go? To whom do we turn? To what do we turn? To know the truth. This is what we're going to find in our study today. We're looking currently at what we might call from chapter 3, Revelation and verse 7, the Holy One addresses the city of brotherly love. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, He who is holy, he who is true, or who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. We're just opening up that verse right now. And I must confess that as I look at things to come, I'm not so sure that this verse won't take most of the time of our study with Philadelphia. As we've already been spending much time just looking at several little things that Jesus has said. And here we've seen from verse 7, first of all, the angel of the church. Who is the angel? And we saw that it is likely the pastor or the elder there of the church, for it is the pastor who's the messenger to the church. And then we looked at the identity of the church, where it was there in what we now call Turkey, that it was in that valley, and then it was an area that is prone to earthquakes, so the city was likely rather small. And we've just begun looking at the one addressing the church from this passage, and we looked over it also chapter 1, and saw that he is the one who holds the seven stars, meaning the seven pastors. And he is the one who walks among the lampstands, saying that he is in the midst of his church. And last week, we began to open up the second portion of this verse, where he says that he who is holy. He actually makes uh, identifies himself in three ways, and the first way is he who is holy. And as you know, that's what we spent time looking at last Lord's Day, the Holy One of God. Now, holiness is an attribute of God. And only God is completely holy. And so Jesus, therefore, is God. Since Jesus is holy, pure, spotless, and holy. Therefore, we said that this is a term of His divinity. And we also made mention that when the church meets with God for worship, it meets with this holy God. Pure and awesome and holy. It is He into whose presence we come even now. It is He, the Holy One, the Holy One of God, who is in our midst even now. This is what we saw last Lord's Day. So we come before Him with awe and reverence. For we as sinners come before a holy God. The holy God of the Bible. Now the text says next, as he identifies himself as not only he who is holy, but he who is true. Once again, we're dealing with an attribute of God. As we mentioned last Lord's Day, there are many attributes of God. His omnipotence, His omniscience, His omnipresence, His eternality. These are attributes of God. This particular attribute is often called the veracity of God. In other words, He is truth. And God alone is all truth. 
as only God is completely pure and completely holy, only God is completely true and completely trustworthy. Only God is absolutely and only true. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4, He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. A God of faithfulness without injustice. And that God faithfulness there in the Hebrew is often translated and is even translated in the King James Version as true. He is true and without injustice. That's because the word carries the connotation of his complete truthfulness. Now, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms and specifically to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. Look down at verse 9. I will give thanks to Thee, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to Thee among the nations. For Thy loving kindness is great to the heavens and Thy truth to the clouds. Up into the heavens, as high as the clouds. This is a, a great picture for the vastness, the, the absoluteness of the truthfulness of God. Look over again to Psalm 86. Psalm 86. We're just giving a brief survey from the Scriptures as to the truthfulness of God. And I'm going to tell you how it manifests itself in uh, several areas. And then we're going to make some applications to the passage that uh, we are reading in Revelation chapter 3. And if you would, please look down to verse 15. But Thou, O Lord, art a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. When you think about God and as He declares Himself to His people, you remember this is part of what He said when He spoke to Moses, when He put Moses in the cleft of the rock and He put His hand in front of him and He passed by in front of Moses and He declared who He was to Moses. And part of what He says is, I am abundant in loving kindness and truth. We always think of God as a God of love. He's also a God of absolute, perfect truth. Our God declares Himself to be a God of perfect truth. Now, how does that manifest itself? In at least three different areas. And as I was looking in some theological books, uh, some uh, texts on theology and how this actually manifests itself, we could have gotten into a, a whole very lengthy discourse as to how this breaks forth and comes forth to His people. But I'm just going to mention rather quickly, three different areas of His perfect truth. And that is, first of all, in the spiritual sense. In the spiritual sense, dealing with Him as God. The fact that He is absolutely truthful means that everything about Him as God is 
true. He has all of the attributes of God and only He has those attributes. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is omniscient. Only God is holy. Only God is all that God is. And everything that the Scriptures say about Him as God is true of only Him. He is true God. We often say that. And He alone is true God. So in the supernatural sense, as it pertains to God, He is absolutely true God. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. The triune God. It's true. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. True God, true man. It's true. I use those words all the time and we seem to just skim over them. But He is true God. He is true man. He is the true Messiah promised in the Scriptures. And so in the supernatural sense of God being God, everything from the Scripture about Him is true. And it is true only of Him. He alone is true God. Second, in the ethical sense, He is true God. And that, by the ethical sense, we mean that He is absolutely reliable, absolutely trustworthy. In other words, when He says something, it does come to pass. You can count on it. In fact, you do count on it. You have based your lives on the fact that He is trustworthy, that He is reliable, that His Word is believable. And so, in the ethical sense, He will always be true. He will never fail you. He will never fail me. He will never fail His church. He will never disappoint. He is absolutely, truthfully, ethically reliable and trustworthy. And then in the third case, we say in the revelational sense. And this is very important. In the revelational sense, that speaks, of course, to His revelation. In the fact that He has given us His Word, His Word is true. Do you realize that this is the self-revelation of God? Here is God revealing Himself to you. He has done so as even... The book of Hebrews says in the old days through prophets and the men like Moses and the prophets who have come along, they have given us the Word of God. He has raised men up in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 18. It tells us what a prophet will be. It is a man that God raises up that He puts His words in His mouth and He will speak all that God tells Him to speak. God's Word is, according to the New Testament, God-breathed. Remember Peter said that. Theopanoustos. God-breathed. The inspired. That's what we mean. The God-breathed Word. This is God's revelation. And as God's revelation, being the holy God, being the trustworthy and the true God, His Word is completely true. 
and only His Word is completely true. That is why we read from the Scriptures without comment. Because we believe that the Word of God is infallible. The more I talk, the more I'll make a mistake. I am not infallible. I am a man. I am a preacher. But His Word is completely infallible. His Word is the truth. And so, in the revelational sense, God is true. God is truth. Everything that He has given is true. How do I know that? Well, look at John chapter 17. I'm going to be looking at a number of passages in the Gospel of John. John chapter 17 to be the first. How many of you can recite the Lord's Prayer? Oh, of course, I mean, our Father who art in heaven. That's not the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. That is the Lord teaching you to pray. But here in John chapter 17 is the Lord praying. So this is really the Lord's Prayer. And in the act of prayer to God, He's praying for His disciples. And ultimately, He's praying for His church. For He says, not just for these only, but for those who will believe on their testimony. So He's praying for the church. And here's what He says in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy Word is truth. Thy Word is truth. Here is Jesus praying and asking God to sanctify His church, to sanctify His people. And how are they going to be sanctified? Where do we turn to learn how to be sanctified and to know what to do according to God? You turn here to His Word, His self-revelation. Thy Word is truth. God's Word is synonymous with truth. And therefore, it is absolutely trustworthy. His Word is absolutely trustworthy. So, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, Jesus speaks to the church in Philadelphia and says to them, I am truth. I am the one who is true. Well, how can that be? Isn't God the only one who is true? Once again, as we saw with holiness, isn't only God holy? Yes. And this is again how we know that Jesus is holy because He is truth. Again, in the Gospel of John, this time all the way back to chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. You know, as we go through this, and I'm, I'm saying these things to you, I want you to just put, put them all together and to see how marvelous God's Word is. His Word is truth. And it's not just wonderful that it's truth, but it's, it's amazing how it all intricately works together to show you that it is true. From all of the prophecies 
that were given about Christ and fulfilled in Christ and all of the ways in which God shows that His Word is true. And then to see these little intricate things happen in His Word to show you His Word is true. Here in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1 and verse 1, we have again the account of creation. And see what it says. In the beginning was the what? The Word. The Word. What did we just read in John 17? Thy Word is truth. And here in the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this is speaking about creation in the beginning. And it says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. What an amazing statement. But why does he choose the, the, the term the Word? Notice it's capitalized. Because it is a synonym for Jesus. How do we know that? Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and what? Truth. The Word is true. The Word is Jesus. And so He says to the church at Philadelphia, I am the one who is holy. As God is holy, I am holy. Holy God comes and speaks to you. And when He does speak to you, what He speaks is true. I am not only holy, but I am true. Jesus comes and says, listen to what I tell you. Because what I am telling you is the truth. And therefore, utterly and completely reliable. Utterly and completely trustworthy. You can believe every bit of it. That's why we say when we speak about the inspiration of the Bible and what we believe regarding the Bible, we believe in what is known as plenary inspiration. That is, every word is the very Word of God. It is all the Word of God. Don't fall for what these liberals say. You know what the liberals say about the Bible? They come up to you and they go, Well, it contains the Word of God. It contains the Word of God. Very sneaky. Very sneaky. Oh, doesn't it contain the Word of God? You know what they're getting at? In other words, it's in there somewhere. you just got to figure out which part of it is true and which part isn't. I'll never forget when I was first ordained. The first church I pastored. We had a big big association down in South Florida. And one of these liberals, who's a noted liberal, I was warned about him, and a big old guy comes and puts his arm around me, well, brother, isn't it true that the Bible contains the Word of God? He's, he's trying to trick people by saying, yes, it's in there, and you can pick and choose as to which is the truth and which might not be. That's what this Jesus seminar does. They look at the Bible and they vote with their little beads as to which is most likely true, which is possibly true, which is definitely not true, and which is 
We can believe it. It's true. And they take a vote. Who are they to vote on the Word of God? Every word is the very Word, no matter what these infidels say. They are liars. The Word of God is here. We have it. It is reliable. And we could go on a whole study as to why we believe it and why it's reliable. But for today, Jesus comes and He says to the church at Philadelphia, I am the one who is true. Therefore, what I say to you is true and is reliable. And it is not only written, it is not only on paper or on parchment even. It is a man. The truth has come to live and to dwell among men. Because the Word became flesh. And He is full of grace and truth. So we do not only have the written Word, we have the very Son of God who is the Word. Who is the truth. And therefore, He is the one that we embrace. So, the Word of God has come to man and it does not mean that Jesus merely says the truth, although He definitely does, but He is the truth. Jesus Himself the very Son of God, is the embodiment of truth. Imagine that. The embodiment of truth. Everything that Jesus ever said was true. When He was a little boy, there in the temple, among the scribes and His parents came and found Him. When He was but 12 years old, what He said was true. When He was grown up and ministered and ministering, What He said was true. Everything that Jesus said was true. Now, we do not have everything that Jesus said recorded in Scripture. But He was the embodiment of truth. He came. Think about this. Truth came in time and space and history and dwelled among men. Truth. Absolute truth became a man. Now let's take some of this and apply it to our text from Revelation chapter 3 as he tells them that he is true, the true one. And what he's saying is that everything I have to say to you is true. Everything that I have to say to you is right. Everything I have to say to you is trustworthy, believable. Because his word is truth. And what I have to say to you will lead you as a church into sanctification. Remember, that's what he was praying in John 17. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Therefore, as he comes and gives us the truth, it will lead you, it will lead the church in Philadelphia into sanctification. It will teach you as a church as to what to do, what not to do, how to do it right, how to live, how to testify, how to preach, how to proclaim the gospel. It will do it for you because my word is truth and truth is how you are sanctified. And not only will it do that for that church in Philadelphia, it will do that for this church right here. How are we as a people to grow in Christ, to be sanctified in Christ, to learn of Christ? Do you remember that passage in Ephesians chapter 4 where he gave some as pastors and teachers? And what were they supposed to do? Take the Word and 
teach the church that the church may grow into maturity. This is how the Word of God is to be used. It is a sanctifying element to the people of God in the church and in their homes because it is absolutely true and absolutely trustworthy. So as you go by it and go by it completely, you will be molded into the image of Christ. You will be made to be a holy man, a holy woman, a godly man, a godly woman who shows the rest of the world who your God is. As you live for Christ the best you can, you show the world the holiness of God because you become sanctified. You become holy men and holy women. And how does that happen? Through the truth. It leads to your spiritual growth. It leads to my spiritual growth. It leads to the church's spiritual growth. So Jesus says to Philadelphia, listen to what I'm telling you. I am holy God. And I am giving you the truth. By the way, do you see how the two are so interconnected? How can you be absolutely holy and lie? You can't. An attribute of God is His absolute holiness. An attribute of God is His absolute truth. So, when we say that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, is there anything that God can't do? Yes, there is. He can't lie. Because He is absolute truth. Because He is absolute, pure, holy God, He cannot and will not lie. He's true. And so this is what Jesus is saying to the church in Philadelphia. I am the holy God. I am absolutely pure. And I am true. And what I have to say to you is trustworthy and truthful. So listen. And you will be sanctified. But you know what? It also has to do with not only sanctification of the people of God, but it has to do with the salvation of of the lost that may hear the Word. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. It will sanctify the church, but it is truth that will save the lost. Here in John chapter 8, this tremendous discourse between Jesus and the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, He goes on to call them of their father the devil. But prior to that, He speaks to some And he says in verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. There's another connection between truth and the Word. There's a lot of people who say that they are disciples of Christ, but they don't abide in His Word. So they are not true. First John says they are liars and the truth is not in them. So we're we're dealing with truth. We want truth. If you say that you're a disciple of Jesus, you will abide in His Word and then you will be truly His disciples. That's what He says. Now look what He says in verse 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This verse is so 
etched upon my mind and my thinking as a pastor today. That it is this Word of God that so many churches say they go by. It is this Word of God that so many churches say they believe. And it is this Word of God that says truth sets men free. And yet churches today seem to run from the truth and go to anything else but the Word of God to try to get people saved. Gimmicks, games, all kinds of hoopla, music, entertainment. Let's twist their arm and get them to come down the aisle. But preach the Bible? Preach for more than 15 minutes? Preach theologically? Preach truth? Nah, we won't do that. Churches today seem to be running away from preaching the truth. And yet, it is truth that sets men free. Truth. And who is truth? Jesus is truth. So when you preach truth, you're preaching Jesus. And yet, why don't they do it? Here our Lord Jesus tells us that it is truth that sets men free. And I say to you that it is utter folly to bring anything other than truth to God's people. Why would you do it? It's truth that sanctifies. It's truth that saves. What, what else would you want? And I contend that the people of God will want the truth of God. The people of God will want to hear more preaching, not less preaching when it's the Word of God. The people of God will not be looking at their watches and going, hey preacher, it's noon, we got to go, Denny's is open. I've actually heard, and this is, this is true, I've actually heard of churches that had a mechanism like a stoplight off on the wall in front of where the preacher would see. And it's green and it stays green until like five minutes to noon. And then at five minutes to noon it turns yellow. And at noon it turns red. Because time's up, preacher. Time's up. Can you imagine that? What kind of godly people is that? If the Holy Spirit is coming and dealing with people and working on the hearts of people and taking the Word of God to the hearts of the people and some deacon goes, Time's up, preacher! Where's the heart? Where's the heart? I really believe and have always seen that the true people of God hunger for the Word of God. Because it is the truth that sets them free. It is the truth that sanctifies them. So it's the truth that they want. Don't you want truth? I have always wanted truth when I go to church. Truth. God's Word. Some meat. Something to grow. Something to teach me. Something to challenge me and to encourage me. And to bring me down and to show myself to show me my sin and all of these things from the Word of God. But it's always true because it's God's Word. Even when it impinges upon my lifestyle. I can't argue with it because it's His Word. So, 
with all of this, do you just want to see a very profound statement from the Word of God? Turn over to John chapter 14. You think about all of this. Jesus stands before them and says, I am the Holy One. I am the True One. How can that be? The Word came and dwelled among men. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word came and dwelled among men and He was full of grace and truth. And it is this truth, Jesus, that sets men free. And here He says in John 14, in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. It is not just a famous verse to memorize. It is profound. He is the way. That narrow way that leads to life as opposed to the broad way that leads to destruction. He is the way. And He is the truth. As opposed to the lies, the countless lies that fill the minds and the the pulpits, or if they have pulpits from congregations, be they churches or groups around the world, compared to Him, they are nothing but lies. For He alone is the way. He alone is the truth. And He alone is the way to life. Only I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. But through Him. There is no other truth in comparison to the truth of Jesus. He is the only truth that can bring you to the Father in fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies, in fulfillment of the very promise of God from creation, comes the embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ. And He is the way to eternal life. And He is the only way to life. I cannot again help but weep over some of these people who are deluded and to think that they are somehow going to go to heaven with virgins awaiting because they follow some other false religion and some other false god. And some other groups that think that they are going to go to heaven or whatever heaven may be. For a while and for a time, I understand that Mormons believed that their eternity was that they would inherit their own planet. And that would be their eternity. I used to joke, yeah, they'll inherit a planet like the sun. Kind of warm. How on earth can Mormonism have anything to do with truth when they deny the deity of Christ when part of the 
deity of the Godhead is that He is absolutely true. And it is attributed to Jesus. And they deny that He is divine. How could they have anything to do with the truth? They do not. And the same can be said about all other religions that deny the deity of Christ. Whatever they have, it is not true. Muslims deny the deity of Christ. Jews deny the deity of Christ. Mormons deny the deity of Christ. And they all have their books. The Koran, the Book of Mormon, the Bhagavad Gita, they all have their books. And they all say they're true. But they deny that this One who is the embodiment of truth is God? They do not have truth. How could we possibly trust anything other than God's Word? Are you going to trust something written by Joseph Smith? Who? What? He was a treasure hunter. A shyster. He was wanted and escaped New York and went to Utah. He was not a godly man. Not a holy man. And what he said was not true. Why would you trust that over what God's Word says? How could we trust in another? I don't think that we could. I know that I could not. We believe what He has given to us. We believe that His teaching is completely reliable, completely true, and complete. There's no more to be added to it. It is only when you have Jesus that you have truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Only when you have Jesus Will you have truth? To the best of our ability, to the best of my feeble abilities, we offer truth. We offer historic Christian truth. We strive to understand what the Bible says. We strive to preach what the Bible says. It is not popular today, as I mentioned a few moments ago. People want other stuff. But we strive to bring you a full meal. And it hopefully contains God's Word as truth. And as I said before, it is a sad thing today that many congregations cringe when a preacher has them turn to passage after passage or look at this text in comparison to that text or preaches too long or whatever else. You know what that shows? That we are very much or at least very close to if not already approaching or already there as to what the prophet Amos prophesied in Amos chapter 8 and verse 11 when he said, The days are coming, declares the Lord when I will send a famine on the land. A famine not for thirst or for bread or for water, but a famine of the hearing of the Word of the Lord. A famine of the hearing 
of the Word of the Lord. So you know what you know what that means to me. We got lots of people that have this. They might have that Bible on their lap. They might go to church and that Bible is on their lap. And the preacher might read a verse and then they all close it and stick it there and he starts telling jokes or stories or whatever. There's a famine in the land for the hearing of the Word of God. And as Paul said to Timothy, there's coming a time when men will love it that way. They just want their ears tickled. But they don't want to be told the truth because that will hurt. And they'll have to deal with their sin. And yet that's the way the Bible says men are saved. When they see God as holy and when they see the remedy for their sin as the truth that Jesus Christ came and Jesus Christ lived a spotless, perfect life and Jesus Christ died a sacrificial death on the cross for His people and that every single one of them will be saved because of what He has done. God's Word is what saves people. Men are saved as the truth sets them free. I think it's very important that we preach the Bible. I think that's just absolutely important. But I also believe that it's important that people heed the Bible. You know, Jesus came to the church in Philadelphia. He said, I am the one who is holy. I am the one who is true. What are you going to do with it? That's the case. That's the question. What are you going to do with it? If the Bible is preached and the Bible is true, we need to heed it. Follow it. Do as it says. Do as we are instructed even by this Word of God as it is given to us. God has gone so far to show us in the Scriptures that His Word is truth. He has gone so far to preserve His truth for us that we can have it. We need to heed it. Clifford often prays. We don't want to be just hearers of the Word, but we want to be doers. We need to heed the Word of God. Let's turn back to Revelation chapter 3 as we close. It is a sad fact that men would rather heed a health and wealth gospel as they're looking for riches rather than heeding truth. But they do. But Jesus stands before this church in Revelation and He says that He who is holy and He who is true is the One who is speaking to His church. And He goes on from there to then say, He who has the key of David who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens says this. Next Lord's Day, we're going to deal with what He means when He says that. What is this key of David? And we will see that some of this all works together. But before we go again today, let me ask you please, if God's Word is truth to you, are you willing to study it? Are you willing to read through it once a year? Are you willing to come to a church to have a loud, raving 
maniac behind the pulpit, opening it up week by week. If this is what you want, I pray that we will stand together. Stand for the truth of God's Word, no matter what. Because times are going to get harder. But as times get tough in the world, people are going to look not for patches, band-aids. They're going to look for truth. May we stand ready to bring it. And if you know this Bible to be truth, heed it. Listen to it. Obey it. And I pray that God would use it to set you free. Let's pray.